This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy Woo! and sadness oh. and anger. Ah. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. Ah. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. Ah. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to the New Books Network, the New Books... Welcome to the New Books Network, the New Books and Art channel. My name is Kirsten Ellsworth, and today I am speaking with Catherine Susloff, author of Foucault on Painting, published by the University of Minnesota Press in 2017. Catherine, we would like to hear a little bit about you and what got you interested in this project. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm a professor of art history, visual art, and theory at the University of British Columbia up in Vancouver, Um, but I taught at the University of California for 24 years, and I'm the recent author of this book on Foucault. I became interested in Foucault, really, since I was in graduate school. I've been reading his work because his philosophy is so, I feel, important for the times we live in. But I also became particularly interested in Foucault on painting um, as a result of an invitation to give a paper on Foucault and the visual arts at a conference in Santa Cruz. And I just got deeper and deeper into the topic and realized I should be publishing a book on it because there was no book on it that existed. One of the great appeals of Catherine's book, for those who are listening and love Foucault, is that she has provided us something that we've not had before this analysis of Foucault's writings on painting in particular. And I'm wondering what we should make of uh, the fact, as you explain in the book, that Foucault compared himself to a painter. He compared himself to a painter and said that a painter is transformed by his painting. And in comparing himself to a painter, he was saying as a philosopher, he was like, a painter. He was transformed by his own philosophy. And I feel that he wanted to understand what does it mean for a painter to be transformed by his painting? And what could that help him understand about how he did philosophy? I think he was looking for a transformational experience in his own philosophical writings and thinking. And I think that he understood that there had been a long-standing comparison between painting and poetry, and to a lesser extent also between painting and philosophy. And he wanted to understand maybe by looking at the painting side of things, he could understand more about the philosophy side of things. So I think that's where that uh, understanding of a self-identification with a painter comes from. With that said, how do you um, bring into the conversation Foucault's archaeological approach or method with respect to all these different um, disciplines, etc., that interested him. I have explored Foucault on 
archaeology. He wrote a book called The Archaeology of Knowledge that attempted to explain his method because his historical method, which is the one he was attempting to explain at the time in the late 60s, was so controversial, he felt he needed to defend himself by explaining his method, so he called it an archaeology of knowledge. When he first wrote about painting, he was also interested in this archaeology of knowledge, which was before he theorized it in this later book. I would just say that it's a way of approaching history that doesn't think of history on the surface of things as moving chronologically through periods of time, but rather as understanding history as going down into the depths of things relating to uh, how events, how occurrences, even how material artifacts emerge through different discourses, as he called them, or different ways of writing about things um, at the same time. So he sought to understand the different discourses that were operative, say, in modernity and how to go through a certain moment in modernity to understand the different discourses about in philosophy or in painting or in um, literature, for example, um, in order to get at an understanding of a historical situation or a historical event. So he sought to, let's say, invent a new method for history writing. As the scholar investigating Foucault painting and this approach, how do you assess the method that he has ultimately, or he ultimately arrived upon? That's a great question. (laughs) I think he used painting when he was first thinking about that method and using that method extensively in his book called The Order of Things, where he has the first chapter devoted to a very famous painting by Velazquez called Las Meninas, or The Maids-in-Waiting. He used painting as an introduction to this method because it allowed him to see an image in front of his eyes, in this case a very large image, a very large painting from the 17th century, and then he could analyze it by going into the image, into the symbolism that he found in the image, in the painting, into the literally into the composition through passages of light and dark, through use of perspective. And he saw that as a form of archaeology. I think he he made an analogy with the archaeology of knowledge in that way. And painting maybe gave him a clear example or, or medium in which to demonstrate this method or to use this method. So I think it was very successful because that's his most famous essay on painting or chapter on painting. Um, I think it was successful. I I think that he himself became uh, dissatisfied or impatient with that method after he finished explaining it many times. (laughs) And I think that he turned to other ways of thinking about painting later in his life. career and his writings. He didn't only think of painting as in an archaeological sense um, later on, but I do think that he began with it that way. As he maybe became interested in changing things with his um, approach, 
in what directions did he go? I know that um, in the book you have a, a lot of interesting information about his interest in Manet and Magritte. How do those interests work into the story here? Okay, so he actually wrote his serious uh, essays and chapters on painting and, and a book on Magritte on painting um, in a chronological order. So he began with the 17th century, moved to Manet in the 19th century. He moved to Magritte early, 20, early to mid 20th century. And then he wrote an essay on his own contemporary, Gérard Fromanger. So I think once he'd written the order of things and realized how significant painting was to a way of thinking about philosophy, language, and history, he decided to approach key moments in the history of art. Well, I have to be clear, that's the history of European art for sure. That was the history of art that he knew. Um, but he decided to insert his thinking into these key periods or moments. So he thought to move chronologically. The first was Manet, 19th century, since he'd just looked at a 17th century artist, Velasquez. So when he talks about Manet, he's more interested in a certain, let's say, characteristic of painting, which is color, and the use of light and shadow and color in painting as a way of understanding how to read painting and see what's lost in the shadow, see what's lying underneath, see what might be concealed by color and by shadow and light. Not just what's revealed, but what's concealed so that he could understand what's lying in the depth, so to speak. So in his essay on Manet, that's what he was interested in, color, light, and shadow. Then when he moved to Manet, to, sorry, Magritte, his interest moved to word and image paintings where, as we're familiar with the word and image paintings of Magritte, such as Ceci n'est pas une pipe, this is not a pipe, which is in LACMA, um, with writing on the painting surface together with an image. So he was interested then in language and painting as directional ways of reading a painting and how, lang how language and words fit together with visual signs and symbols and images. And then finally, he was interested in Fromanger. That interest was really directed towards the issue of light and projection in painting, especially how photography influence, influences painting in the modern contemporary period. So he really addressed painting from a lot of different directions and found, oh, through painting, I think, found ways to think about his own philosophy in different ways. Do you think that the kind of radical breaks that Manet and Magritte offered as we look back and construct this um, history of Western European art, do you think that... Um, Foucault chose those artists because they were revolutionary in a sense? Yes, I think that's a very good way of putting it. I mean, these are very major artists. Manet, a major artist who a number of critics have said was really the first modern artist, the one who paved the way for early 20th century abstraction and who also was a painter of modern life in the ways that earlier painters weren't. 
Yes. So Manet is significant and revolutionary in that regard. And Magritte and his surrealist paintings of word and image, those are very revolutionary when he began working in that manner in the late 1920s. And he continued that right up to his death in 64, I believe. Um, and I also think that he chose Fromanger because Fromanger himself, his own contemporary, considered himself a radical revolutionary painter. I don't think that history has decided that he was a radical revolutionary painter the way they have that decided that Magritte and Manet were. For Foucault, that was important, absolutely. It is interesting that he brought Fromanger into the picture, so to speak. Um, and when reading the book, this is the one name that probably a lot of us don't know. I wondered if Foucault then classified himself as a revolutionary. Good question again. I, I'm hesitant to say that he did because he never, if I recall correctly, said, I am a revolutionary. And as you know, there were a number of people in the late, well, the mid to late 60s in France who were calling themselves revolutionaries. But he was certainly sympathetic to them. And even though he wasn't in France in 68 when there was the big uprisings and uh, revolutionary fervor reached, reached its peak in Paris, he was in Tunis at the time. But at that time in Tunis, he was supporting the so-called revolutionary students who were also involved in uh, trying to reform the university and prisons in Tunis. So I don't know if he's a self-styled revolutionary because he didn't want to identify himself completely with Marxism at the time, and a lot most of the revolutionaries did. But I think he certainly was sympathetic to them. It's fascinating these different um, lives he led in a, you know in one way, and I'm wondering if he ever wanted to expand beyond analysis of painting. In other words, you mentioned photography. Was he interested in sculpture, printmaking? Were there other media, and maybe why painting in particular? I think, uh, in fact. In terms of the visual arts, his interest was had been from a very young age, mainly in painting. I do believe that in the 70s, he became interested in photography because photography had had such a major influence on painting. And he could look back and see that, especially with the artists called the narrative figurationists, which is what the movement in France that uh, Gérard Fromanger was associated with. So it gave him a chance to look into photography. And then he did write an, es an essay on a photographer, an American photographer named Wayne Michaels, which was written after his essay on Fromanger. So I feel that he might have continued an interest in photography, but he died you know, suddenly and too soon to be able to pursue that interest. The uh, essay on Dwayne Michaels, the photographer, is among his last essays. So in terms of other arts, besides the visual arts, I think his other major interest in the arts was in music and in contemporary, let's call it, say, modern music. Uh, he's written on Boulos and um, 
He was very interested in avant-garde music in the 60s and 70s. Perhaps we should back up to uh, maybe an, a biographical question with all that you're explaining. What was Foucault's own educational background and even his, did he practice any of these arts himself? As far as I know, he did not. Um, he, he was the son of a very well-respected and well-known doctor. Um, he attended the most elite schools in in France and Paris um, as an undergraduate and graduate student. His training was originally in psychology, and that was in some sense related to his father being a doctor, and his father evidently was trying to insist that his son also become a physician. but And I think Foucault tried to find an alternative to that by moving over into psychology rather than into uh, medicine. But in the end, he was very dissatisfied with psychology and found it a field that was not compatible to his interests and his investments. So he moved into philosophy and started studying philosophy and in the end uh, understood himself as a philosopher, even though I'd say a lot of other people uh, in France did not necessarily consider him as a classical philosopher. Uh, but his, so his training was very mixed. It was between psychology mainly and philosophy. And I think that gave him a very, uh, unique and a, a position in terms of disciplines because to have two strong trainings in France at this time was not that usual. Usually stuck with a discipline, but he moved across so many disciplines and his interest really was modern thought as a whole or modern culture as a whole. So I think um, that does have in, in part to do with his biography. Was there any time in his life um, during which he took on a protege or uh, sought to teach? Good question. He had an appointment, his academic appointment in France, the major one that he had for the longest, uh, which was cut short by his death, uh, early death, was at the Collège de France. And the Collège de France, you don't have individual students. You lecture to the public. You're committed to a topic, a new topic, every year. And you have to lecture to a public. So your lectures are advertised to everyone, but also are attended by many, many graduate students from all over uh, Paris, and usually from different disciplines. And especially since his appointment at the Collège de France was in the history of thought, um, I, I think that he attracted students from a lot of different disciplines. He wasn't appointed in a, in a traditional discipline such as literature or history or philosophy. Um, so he never had, I would say, he had, if he had, he had very few uh, students. He didn't have PhD students working with him the way one works. Um, with PhD students today as a professor in a university. Uh, but that's the system of the Collège de France. That's the way the setup is. It's a very privileged position because basically you have to lecture on a new topic of your research every year and you don't 
you're not responsible to students other than giving them the most advanced lectures that you can make. It seems a an effective position for Foucault in terms of merging these different interests, reaching different disciplines, different students. If you look back on all of the writings that he produced that speak to art and painting, is there one that stands out to you as the one you like the most and why? That's a hard question since I've just spent so many years looking at all of them. And I I think that Foucault, and because I think that Foucault is for me and for many people constantly fascinating, constantly yielding new insights and new uh, proposals and solutions for problems uh, to anybody who uh, approaches him, even semi-seriously, but certainly seriously. So his writings on painting are varied, as I say. They pertain to uh, the Western tradition, the European tradition. Um, In some sense, I wish there had been at least one essay or some writing on painting that was outside of the European cultural tradition. I think it would have been interesting to understand Foucault on uh, another culture. But I I also think that he, he felt maybe inadequate, if one could say that Foucault would ever feel inadequate, to cover uh, another culture, uh, cultural frame in terms of painting. Um, I love the essay on Las Meninas, and I do believe that it's his best writing on painting, and it was in his most... It was in the book that got him his reputation as a great thinker and a worldwide figure, celebrity almost in later years. And in that essay, you can see the seeds of, first of all, his later thinking about subjects and subjectivity and power. And you can also see his intense training in the history of art. I mean, he didn't approach anything that he undertook in a light weight manner. If he was going to do art history, he really did art history. He was thorough. He read every piece of bibliographical literature on the topic, talked to people about it before he committed pen to paper on on painting. That's what he did. So, And this essay on Las Meninas really shows that. And I think in the end, that's why he decided he could include it in a book it was basically on language because the book, The Order of Things, is, is a study of language. But he, I think, was persuaded by his seriousness of the approach he found for Las Meninas to put it as the first chapter of that book. So it's my favorite one, I guess I would say that. The painting, maybe if you would give us some insight just as a last part on this Velazquez topic, what do you think drew him to Las Meninas? specifically, because it's such a well-known and intriguing painting. That's true. Uh, Foucault loved challenges, so the fact that he chose a canonical painting, you know, one of, let's say, the top ten canonical paintings in the history of European art was, uh, was not by accident. It was a challenge to him. 
The second thing was it was a Spanish painting, and he did discuss Spanish literature in some of the following chapters in that book. Third thing was, according to his partner, Daniel Defer, with whom I spoke in France and who others have interviewed since then, uh, Foucault was just absolutely stunned by that painting when he went to look at the Prado Museum in Madrid. Before he wrote that essay, he had been to Madrid and he had seen that painting and it made a great impression on him. And it's a truly impressive painting. It's enormous. So its monumentality, its si sheer size also, I think, attracted him. The fact that it was in the 17th century was another key point for his argument in the book on language and the modern age, which is what the order of things is about. So the 17th century was a hinge moment, a transition moment between earlier Renaissance thinking and culture and later movement into modernity. You could see things in the 17th century that he felt couldn't see as clearly in other centuries. So Las Meninas, 1656, perfect position in the middle of the 17th century for that. Well, there's a lot of other reasons, too. I mean, one is that there was a big uh, fashion for Spanish painting emerging in France at the time, so I think that might have influenced him. And um, the virtuosity of Velázquez in that painting in terms of his use of perspective and symbolism and the situation of his self-portrait in the painting also attracted Foucault, because here is the painter painting himself. And we began this interview with talking about why does Foucault identify with a painter, and there is a painter right there in that major essay in, on, on the painting of Las Meninas. An illuminating answer that I, I really think um, helps us understand a large part of your project, which is the transformative and the complex and how they come together with Foucault's writing on painting. Maybe if you could describe briefly your, your method um, of research, you mentioned that you spoke with his partner. That's fascinating. And a little bit about your own approach. In, in many ways, my approach is affected by Foucault and it was before I took on this project that was focused on him. That is, I work in, in an interdisciplinary manner, and I have a deep investment in the literature on art, the writing on art that takes place from the Renaissance to the present. And much of that writing is by artists, but a lot of it's also by theorists and philosophers. So I've always been interested in that, and I wanted to address Foucault's investment in painting by a, a, a method that allowed me to look deeply into his resources and his interests, that is, into the literature and art, the theory on art that he knew, into writings by artists that he knew, into ideas about history and the ways that one wrote history, according to him in, in his time, into uh, the idea that painting could be like philosophy. I was also interested in that aspect of his thought and so was able to address the philosophical context of his work. 
So overall, it allowed me to do research into all those different areas. And, I, and I've always done that or tried to do it and in my own work. And so this was a wonderful uh, moment when I, could, when I could do that easily because Foucault's ostentatiously called for it, you know, in all of his thinking about his method and the way he thought about painting. So there was that. And also I did consult, uh, you know, the literature in, in four languages on Foucault because there's a lot of writing on him in, in four languages. It hasn't been translated into English. So that was key for me that I was able to do that and wanted to do it. So there is a Foucault for France and there's a Foucault for the United States and there's a Foucault for uh, Great Britain. And they don't always come out as by the interpreters who work on Foucault as sounding like the same person or certainly as sounding like the same thinker. And I wanted to be able to cross over all those different approaches and to come up with a, a real understanding of how Foucault himself looked at painting. And I had to read all the literature about his philosophy from all those different uh, contexts. I, I didn't find much in the archives at the time because all of the, most of the uh, archival material on Foucault and painting had not yet been deposited in the archives. It is now there, and that I found last summer when I was in France at the Bibliothèque Nationale. I was able to read a lot of Foucault's notes that I had not been able to read before earlier when I was writing the book. So I actually have an after thoughts or epilogue uh, that's I'm hoping to write about Foucault and painting now based on his manuscripts, which are available, but which have not yet been published. Um, my method otherwise is comparative and historical, and it involves deep reading of texts, as I said, and also of the paintings that he addressed. So I'm trying to bring it all together is basically what I'm saying. The book does bring it all together, and I, I already heard your next project, I think, alluded to, but with the tour de force that you've completed for uh, the current book, what do you have planned for next project or projects? Well, I have a lot of things that aren't related to Foucault. I, I did edit a volume of essays that came out in 2016 called Foucault on the Arts and Letters, which is a series of essays by different scholars on Foucault's approach to uh, other form, art forms, including music, and I already mentioned that, but also dance and literature uh, as well. And I have an essay in that volume as well. I have now a lot of research on the manuscripts on painting that are found in the Bibliothèque Nationale, and I'm hoping to write my views as an art historian of these manuscripts, because much of Foucault uh, writing on Foucault in recent years, especially, has been by philosophers. And philosophers don't look at things uh, in art history the same way art historians do. They're not historians usually, and they're not versed in aesthetics of painting, for example, the same way that uh, an art historian might be. So I'm going to try to publish something on these manuscripts and 
Foucault's investment in art history, which I can see much more clearly now that I've seen those manuscripts in the last summer. I guess I could give an example of that, which is uh, there's a very thick uh, manuscript for a book on color and color theory in the history of art, which is a major area uh, in art theory, starting with the Renaissance period in Europe, but a notoriously difficult one, notoriously difficult. Um, and uh, having to do, of course, with science and perception and cognitive sciences, uh, how people see and know and express color relations and its effects on the human brain and the human psyche. And Foucault was interested in color for these reasons, and so I'm interested in th that manuscript especially. Again, a challenge. <laughs> Good, right? And hearing the description, I, as an art historian, and I'm guessing there's some art historians listening, I just feel determined that we get to read that, your treatment of that manuscript, because as you say, even just the subject of color alone, to know Foucault's views and continue to know more would be really important, I think. I think so too, because they because again, color is a crossover field between psychology and philosophy and art theory. And I think to understand how he approached it and and how he was thinking about writing about it would be really important. I agree. Well, it's been a, a really enlightening conversation today, and your book is such an important contribution to the field and the many fields in which Foucault played. I guess we could say. I would just like to thank you for your time today and hope to have you back when you have another treatise for us uh, concerning Foucault. Okay, Kirsten, I really appreciate being here and talking to you and thanks so much for your provocative questions and I appreciate your interest and your audience's interest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.